Oh. 
Six minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. <laughs> Shem, 
I'm 
a.m. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM. 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Does this microphone sound different than usual? Hmm. I don't know. Not sure. Uh, good morning. That was uh, the great um, uh, L'Chadodi medley done by uh, Srili Williger from the rest of Kalbach Shabbos. Before that, an assorted uh, selections from his Kalbach Friday Night CD. And, of course, Regesh Modani opening things up as usual on this Friday. Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM. 636, 24 minutes before 7 o'clock. Good morning, all. Mazel tov to the uh, Landsman and the Naaman families. An absolutely beautiful wedding last night out at the Sands on Long Island. It was just a uh, spectacular celebration, really spectacular celebration. And a mazal tov to the Naaman family and to the Landsman family and uh, to everybody who um, celebrated from far and wide last evening. It was really an incredible celebration. Leora, Alex, mazal tov to you from all of us here at JM and the AM. It's Friday, this final Friday of August. Labor Day weekend is upon us, believe it or not. That is hard to believe that it's a Labor Day weekend already. Wow. I don't know where the summer went. <laughs> but wherever it went, it went very quickly. Um, it's Erev Shabbos Parsha Shoftim, candle lighting at 7.13 on this Erev Shabbos. 7.13, your official candle lighting. I'll still say that uh, many synagogues begin earlier. So make sure you know when things start where you are. But here in uh, the New Jersey, New York area, we're calling it for 7.13 on this era of Shabbos. And as I said, Monday is Labor Day. Not quite sure yet who's going to be here Monday, but there will, of course, be a JM and the AM radio program Monday morning between 6 and 9, even on Labor Day. And we are officially uh, kicking off our next season of the uh, Nahum Siegel Network with uh, amazing original programming on our on our stream, on our network, jmnam.org. We'll officially kick it off on Tuesday. We'll start introducing uh, to you some of the uh, brand-new shows and some of the uh, amazing uh, stalwart programs that will be returning uh, during the... Um, during the beginning of 5775, well, the end of 5774 and the beginning of 5775. 61 degrees with 65% humidity, winds in northwest at uh, 2 miles an hour. Uh, sunshine today with a high temperature of 79. Then uh, tonight, mostly clear, a low 65. Partly cloudy for Shabbos with a high 77. Sunday does not look as good, but... Um, it will not be the best day of the Labor Day weekend, but we certainly have a, a nice-looking Shabbos Baruch Hashem. Yushalayim is at 88 degrees. We're at 61 here in Jersey City as we say uh, good morning at JM and the AM. Uh, just reading about this uh, sad ending to a story that goes from New Jersey to Jerusalem. The um, Jerusalem Post Reads an intensive six-day search scouring the Jerusalem forest and surrounding neighborhoods for missing American yeshiva student uh, Aaron Sofer came to an end Thursday afternoon when a United Hatzalah volunteer found the body of the New Jersey native. 
DNA tests confirmed his identity. He was last seen in Beit Zayat in that area of the forest last Friday morning before he and a friend became separated while navigating a steep incline. The friend contacted police to file a missing uh, persons report. Massive search involving police, United Hatzalah, and others. And uh, according to United Hatzalah worker Yisrael Ehrlich, who was among the first on the scene Thursday, the body closely matched the description of the red-headed yeshiva student who has spent the last year studying in Jerusalem. And, of course, the... uh, the news started to spread and uh, the confirmations were made. And uh, obviously it's uh, a terrible end to a terrible tragedy. His um, a funeral took place in the Eretz Achaim Cemetery in Beit Shemesh, 9.30 this morning in Israel, buried next to his grandfather. And uh, again, our condolences to his um, family here in New Jersey, and of course, um, our thoughts are with them at this time. What a terrible uh, story, and uh, I guess the the details, no matter what they contain, will uh, will start to come out as the uh, investigation continues, and then eventually closes. JM and the AM at 19 minutes before seven o'clock on this Friday. One hour from now, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, be the final uh, weekly update for the month of August as uh, summer quickly fades away or starts to fade away. Uh, he'll join us coming up. That'll be at 7.40 Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in either on the radio or on the app or on the stream or on your laptop or on your whatever. The listen line, the telephone listen line, there are just too many ways. (laughs) I don't know about too many. There's so many ways, I should say, to tune in and listen into this radio program to make sure uh, you're tuned in as we discuss the events of this week about an hour from now. Rabbi Yudin at 8.15 will wrap up the week here at JM and the AM at 9 a.m., Reminder, Matis will be on Sunday with JM Sunday, Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami, 10 p.m. each Saturday night. And our incredible, incredible Erev Shabbos music stream. I don't know how anybody avoids putting on the Erev Shabbos music stream at some point on Friday after, on Friday afternoon. But it is the most amazing collection of Erev Shabbos selections. Coming at you from 10 a.m. until candle lighting every single Friday with a big thank you and hello and good morning to our friends at Kedem, uh, who just, um, continue to appreciate an amazing, uh, Arab Shabbos music mix every single Friday. 18 minutes before 7 o'clock, it's JM in the AM with Cole Salonica.
And Benny Friedman getting ready for a, a very exciting weekend, especially here in New Jersey. For the first time ever, he's going to be performing in Teaneck, New Jersey, and it's going to happen during the big Cedar Market celebration. Their big birthday celebration is Labor Day. This coming Monday, they're arranging for rides and clowns and face painting and magic shows and special uh, snacks and food and giveaways and prizes and, of course, live music. And who's going to be there? It'll be Benny Friedman. 1.30 it all begins at Cedar Market, 646 Cedar Lane in Teaneck, New Jersey. This coming Monday, Labor Day. We wish them a happy first birthday, and we encourage everybody to go and enjoy, and uh, especially enjoy the great music that Benny Friedman is going to be providing on Monday in Teaneck. J.M. and the A.M. at a minute before 7 o'clock. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Labor Day weekend is upon us. Weekly update with uh, Malcolm Honline coming up uh, about 40 minutes from now. 
as we explore the events of this week and talk about uh, the different things that have been going on in Israel and the Jewish world. And there is a lot to talk about, that's for sure. So that'll be happening coming up. Rabbi Yudin, of course, will join us with the Torah portion of uh, Parsha Shoftim. Candle lighting at 7.13 on this Erev Shabbos, 7.13. Many synagogues still begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. It is America's one and only <coughs> Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. Galitzal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. I saw that at the U.S. Open, Shachar Pe'er was uh, eliminated in the second round. Is Dudi Sela playing today? I believe he is playing today in his second round match. That is the Israeli uh, final hope in this year's U.S. Open. If it's an early session today, which I hope it is, and uh, and you're at the U.S. Open, make sure to bring the Israeli flag with you, because um, I guarantee you, Dudi Sela needs uh, all the help he can get in terms of support in the uh, in the stadium. That's for sure. Labor Day weekend, J.M. and the A.M. Galetzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday era of Shabbos follows next. We say Boker Toe from J.M. and the A.M. Galetzal, Ashash Time, Kan Shibel Karmi Mansur, in Mashakore Achshav. נתנאל ממן, חייל צהל שנפצע אנושות מפגיעת רקטה בשבוע שעבר ונפטר הבוקר, יובא למנוחות בשעה הקרובה בבית העלמין ביישובו גן יבנה. כתבתנו יערה שפירה. סמל נתנאל חיים ממן בן 21 נפצע אנושות לפני שבוע מהתפוצצות גרד בגן יבנה בעת שהיה בחופשה מהצבא. הבוקר הוא נפטר מפצעיו בבית החולים ביילינסון ובכך עולה מניין ההרוגים במבצע צוק איתן ל-71. רק אם אבו מאזן ייכנס לעזה, תהיה שם ממשלה שלא פועלת באלימות ובטרור, כך אומרת שרת המשפטים ציפי לבני. שמענו כל המבצע ולפניו כל מיני טקסטים של נמוטט, נשמיד, מחרב, אה, את החמאס. אוקיי, הרתענו אותו, פגענו בו, לא מוטטנו אותו, הוא שם. אז עכשיו, אם לא עשינו את זה במבצע צבאי, אפשר וצריך לפעול כדי להחליף אותו באמצעים מדיניים. כתבנו אינבל תמיר מוסר שבמפגש עם הפורום הכלכלי מסחרי בראשון לציון הוסיפה לבני שאסור להתענג על השקט הזמני בדרום וצריך לפעול מדינית כדי להבטיח רגיעה ממושכת. בשלב המיידי הכנסת רגל של אבו מאזן בדלת של עזה עכשיו ובטווח הארוך עיקרון שאומר שהיעד הוא שתהיה בעזה ממשלה לגיטימית שמכירה בקיומה של ישראל שלא פועלת באלימות ובטרור. ברוסיה ממשיכים להכחיש את האשמות באוקראינה על פלישת חיילים רוסים לשטחה. זו לא הפעם הראשונה שיש נגדנו האשמות. מתחילת המשבר הואשמנו בדברים רבים, אמר לפני זמן קצר שר החוץ של רוסיה סרגי לברוב והוסיף, אלו השערות בלבד, טרם הוצגו לנו עובדות. האם מנהל הכספים של רודן קוריאה הצפונית קים ז'ונג און ערק לרוסיה? כתבתנו נועם דהן. 
עיתון דרום קוריאני דיווח היום כי הבכיר נעלם מאז ביקורו ברוסיה בשבוע שעבר ועימו חמישה מיליון דולרים. על פי הפרסום, קוריאה הצפונית ביקשה מהרשויות במוסקבה לסייע באיתור מנהל הכספים, אך עד כה לא עלו על עקבותיו. התחזית גם מחר נאה בלי שינוי של ממש. ולסיום, כבוד למתחרים לשעבר. אחרי עשרות שנים ועשרות אלפי מהדורות ומבזקים, צבי סלטון תולה את המיקרופון. הבוקר הוא הגיש בפעם האחרונה את החדשות ברשת ב'. שלום רב, השעה עשר, הנה החדשות מפי... התרגשתי רק לקראת סוף המהדורה, כי ידעתי שאני הולך להגיד לסוף החדשות מפי צבי סלטון. זאת הייתה תקופה מדהימה. תורה מעניינת, מרתקת, מגוונת מאוד, מאוד מרגש היום. בהצלחה בהמשך גם מאיתנו כאן בגלי צה"ל. אלה החדשות שעורך הדר שיפר בצוות שירה הראל ואבי כהן. התוכנית בחסות הרשות הארצית.
In the AM, there he is, the man who's going to be in Teaneck, New Jersey for the first time ever, Benny Friedman. He's there at the big Cedar Market celebration this coming Labor Day, this coming Monday, starting at 1.30 p.m. With the rides and the uh, shows and the face painting and the artists and the balloon sculptures and everything else. 
646 Cedar Lane, Cedar Market celebrates its first birthday, and Benny Friedman is the featured performer uh, this coming Monday afternoon on Labor Day. It should be a lot of fun. First time performing in Teaneck, New Jersey. Imagine that. J.M. and the A.M. at 22 minutes after 7 o'clock. Before that, uh, that was Benny Friedman off of the brand new Shlomo Yehuda Rechnitz Sheer CD, or double CD. Itzik Dadya had Mia Deer. Modim done by Mordechai Ben David off Kula Mahuvim and opening up the 7 o'clock hour with that Shia Rubenstein selection here at J.M. and the A.M. Sunshine with a high temperature of 79, mostly clear tonight, low 65. Partly cloudy for tomorrow, a high temperature, 77 degrees. Malcolm Holmline is going to join us on this era of Shabbos coming up about 7.40 Eastern Time. He is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us coming up here at JM in the AM. See what he has to say about this amazing world of ours. I don't know. Every time I ask him if there's hope, he always says there's hope. So... We'll continue to believe that. Erev Shabbos here with candle lighting at 7.13. Many synagogues do begin early still. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Monday we're here, Labor Day. Not sure exactly who's going to be in this chair on Monday yet, but whoever it is, I'm sure you'll have a high-quality, excellent legal holiday program here at JM and AM. Tuesday officially begins all of our uh, brand-new Season 3, as we like to call it, of the Nahum Siegel Network. With all the great programs and a whole bunch of brand new stuff, we'll start talking about that on Tuesday morning right here at JM in the AM. Don't forget, Matis hosts JM Sunday this coming Sunday. He's getting to the point where, um, I think in September, yeah, September is the anniversary of the, of uh, the start of JM Sunday. So we're getting close to a, a big celebration, I'm sure. Matis hosts JM Sunday every Sunday between 7 and 9 a.m. Rabbi Goldwasser is part of it. News from Israel is part of it. It's a great way to wake up even on a Sunday morning. Make sure to be tuned in at jmandtheam.org. Simple as that. And enjoy our amazing all-day Erev Shabbos music stream. It's actually from 10 a.m. all the way until candlelighting time. There's probably no better way to walk into Shabbos than with our stream going on in your home for hours and hours beforehand. I'm telling you. I've tried it, I know. So check it out and enjoy. Brand new here to Maccabees. <laughs> Belong. 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 Belong.
Amazing. Uh, we were discussing this during the live lunch yesterday. So how did they record this video? Was it a drone? Was it a GoPro attached to some drone hovering over Washington Heights? Just amazing. Maccabees brand new with the medley entitled Home, just put onto YouTube a couple of days ago, already with over 25,000 views. And just a just great scenes. Amazing, amazing scenes. Amazing scenes especially the ones from Yerushalayim. Just incredible scenes and a uh, whole bunch of great material on it. Check it out. JM in the AM, good morning at 29 minutes after the hour. Weekly update coming up and plenty more here on a Friday. Rabbi Yudin will join us at 8.15 with the Torah portion. And as I uh, said, much more coming up here at JM in the AM. This is a um, This is a brand new one from Yussi Green. An Erev Shabbos music selection at JM in the AM.
Jesse Green, Keladon, candlelighting 713 on this Arab Shabbos Parsha Shoftim. Monday is Labor Day. Cedar Market's big birthday celebration is this coming Monday on Labor Day. And in addition to all the different things they're having, and we've told you about so many different things they're going to have starting at 1.30 p.m. on Monday. Benny Friedman performs in Teaneck, New Jersey for the very first time. Benny Friedman in concert. As part of the big Cedar Market birthday celebration this coming Monday, Labor Day, information at 201-855-8500. They're at 646 Cedar Lane. Should be a beautiful celebration. Want to wish a mazel tov to the Naaman and Landsman families. Last night, Leora and Alex were married. It was a spectacular celebration out at the Sands. Big Ashikoften and the Shummel Orchestra. Gershon Varoba, Ari Boyanju, uh, Ofinat, Judah Hulkauer. Uh, Mark Feinberg, I'm trying to think who I'm uh, forgetting, I apologize. Just an amazing orchestra last evening. Ellie Zamek, a great orchestra last evening. And uh, really a tremendous celebration. So to the Naaman and Landsman families, we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. 
21 minutes before 8 o'clock, it's JM and the AM and Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us coming up with the weekly update.
The great Ben Sion Schenker, of course, Tor Mishalo, followed by Menucha Vesimcha. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Parsha Shoftim with candle lighting at 7.13, Monday's Labor Day. We'll be here at JMN. I'm not sure who's going to be sitting in this seat Monday, but we'll find out, I guess, soon enough. Um, I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com, who continue to enthusiastically recommend our amazing and incredible network online to all of their readers. If you want a, a comprehensive look at... Uh, Thousands of opinions about what's going on in this world of ours. Check out JewishWorldview.com and enjoy. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us every Friday for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Big simcha for the Honline family this week. I guess it never gets old celebrating with a grandchild, huh? We may get old, but celebrating <laughs> the wedding of a grandchild is a great schluss, and I'm thankful to Akash Baruch for it, and to them, and to Michal and Amil, who got married in Baltimore. Uh, they should have just a great life together. You know, this is something that not every generation in Jewish history or recent Jewish history was able to experience, Malcolm. There was a time when it was commonplace that generations did not celebrate together and if one or two generations was together that was the basically the limit in our community as one who did not have grandparents because of uh, 
the Shoah. I fully appreciate what you're saying, and it was true. There was a missing generation, and it's not something we should take for granted. At the bed, I kept thinking that this is truly the Nakama on on those who want to do away with us today, those who wanted to do away with us in the distant and not distant past. And we take too much of it for granted. We don't remember and think about both the good and how privileged we are and how much has been rebuilt from ashes when others would have given up. We had a generation that made an irrational choice of rebuilding Jewish families, some who had lost entire families, and that it's only by assuring the continuity of Jewish life that we really put the lie to their aims, and you see how many today would like to do away with the Jewish people. Oh, yeah. We have to show them the only answer is internal strength, unity, and external commitment. I think I made this point to you uh, at around the time that it happened, but a few months ago I was visiting somebody during a shiva call. Uh, people of my generation who had gone to school in Brooklyn, it's not like they were in some obscure area, but they were in a place with a you know, a large Jewish population. They said what was unusual about our family, and we always felt strange about it, was we were the only kids in school with grandparents. Yep. So just to bring the point home even further for people. Uh, all right, uh, time to explore the news of the day. And um, uh, we read about and hear about a secret meeting that took place between Prime Minister Netanyahu and the head of the PA, Mahmoud Abbas, in Jordan. Is this the reason that now there is a ceasefire in place? No, the reason there's a ceasefire is because Hamas gave up. I mean, Hamas is the one that looked for the uh, agreement and, and got none of the conditions that it set uh, for it. I'm not saying that they were the total losers in some people's eyes. They were winners by the very fact that they were able to emerge from this, hold the huge rallies, uh, fire missiles until the last, um, the last minute. But even the New York Times acknowledged that it wasn't the ceasefire was not extended on on Hamas's terms. That the it was the Egyptian deal that was offered a long time ago that Israel accepted, that Hamas rejected. They they were clearly hurt in this last round with the destruction of the big buildings where command centers were. Uh, under these terms, uh, Israel will ease restrictions gradually. But they had the pledge to halt fire rockets from Gaza, and I think they emerged with uh, little to show but declared victory, and their victory is that they're still standing. So what was the point of the secret meeting? Well, there is coordination between uh, the PA and Israel because they have a common enemy. And the question is whether Abbas is really prepared to stand up and, and to get involved you, you see that there are a, a number of developments happening behind the scenes, other secret meetings, efforts. Qatar seems to be putting together a coalition of Jibril Rajoub and Mashal of Hamas. Uh, Jibril Rajoub used to be a leader in Fatah, and uh, Maran Bagudi, who's in jail, as an alternative leadership. It becomes their, the group that they back within the Palestinian Authority, um, in a larger sense, plus Hamas. Because everybody has a stake, they want to uh, play a role. What what I think uh, Israel is looking to to avoid is a is a vacuum in Gaza, where more and more people are uh, certainly disaffected. Even if they the polls show that the majority, the vast majority, would want to see uh, attacks continue, the fact is that they come out, they see the price they paid, they say, "What did we gain 
from this. Hamas even arrested 250 of its own members after, you know, publicly executing uh, members of Fatah and calling them spies and etc. They've arrested 250 of their own guys um, after the attacks on the, the leadership. This, these are usually not really spies for Israel. They're uh, political enemies or just uh, the, the people they want to eliminate. And the other thing that's important is the the UN report that came out this week in this regard uh, that showed that less than 5% of Gaza was affected by all of Israel's attacks. Less than 5%. And they show that if you take their map and you overlay it on the map of what Israel claimed the, the, the damage was and the destruction was, you will see that they're almost the same. Hmm. And the the idea of indiscriminate or random, 72% of all the attacks were within three kilometers of Israel's border. Now, this is such an important uh, statement because that's where the tunnels were, that's where a lot of the staging grounds were. There were 12,000 points supposedly representing damage that Israel caused uh, before August 5th. That is exactly what the UN findings come out. So they vindicate Israel's thing. So now, Hamas is being denied even the legitimacy that it gained with the United Nations by the usual one-sided comments, attacks, etc. on it. And they have to do a lot of thinking because a lot of the lies hopefully will be exposed, although we see them repeated in all the major media, especially New York Times. But when you talk about the closing economic uh, blockade, there is no economic blockade. Israel's allowed goods in even during the war. What they don't allow in is the dual-use goods. Yeah, but nobody's going to look back at this war and decide anything in Israel's favor. I mean, you, you sound a little bit more optimistic on this whole PR issue a week later. No, I, I'm not, actually. Uh, I think that we're going to see the real thrust of this on the campuses as people come back. Uh, we're going to see it continuing in the media and the rebuilding effort and this, um, you see how they talk about this one uh, finger that was left of the building of the, what, the second largest building in, um, in uh, Gaza uh, and how, you know, it's sort of like the remnants of the World Trade Center right. after the bombing when it's, I mean, it's, of course, no correspondence and no relationship between them. So I don't believe that the PR battles anywhere near over I think it's important for people to have the facts to understand the context. Our people, those who listen to the show, if they're going to talk to others and we're going to make the case, you've got to do it based on facts. And there are strong arguments, there's right. strong material that never gets out. Right, that's the point, that there's a lot of information that can be very helpful in these arguments. Right. Um, just going back for a second, because you mentioned in terms of uh, you know how, how a Fatah person is now being treated in Gaza. Is everybody in Gaza... At this point, aligned with Hamas, like is is there a a, a, a stru- just like politically, there's a real demarcation between the quote unquote West Bank presence of Arabs and the Gaza Strip presence. Is it like that in the population as well? That if you're if you're in Hamas, excuse me, if you're a member of Fatah, you don't even live in Gaza at this point. Uh, you live very carefully. There are Fatah members, but people are not uh, are less and less going public because it's dangerous. The, uh, there are also, you know, Islamic Jihad, Palestinian Islamic Jihad that had a sign on this deal. That's a wholly owned subsidiary of Iran. Uh, and, and Fatah uh, affiliates claimed that during the war they fired, and this is just in the last 24 hours, 
fired 2,000 missiles. So credibility is based on how much damage, how much you were able to do in the war against Israel. And that's why some of the competition and a lot of it lies um, are, are being asserted because they want credibility in the street. But in the street itself, there's a lot of resentment growing against uh, Hamas because they say, look, you took us into another war. Mm. We've been devastated again. We pay the price. You come out declaring, you know, itself heroes, and we're suffering. Do the executions also lend itself to a uh, negative attitude toward Hamas when these... They do, but it also creates uh, intimidation and fear. Something I've been thinking about for the last couple days is that this whole thing with beheading. You remember when in Iraq... The ISIS, as they came in with a small group, left the heads of soldier, of uh, policemen on the road right. and others, and everybody said, oh, this is horrific, look how terrible. But in fact, it works. It's helped them. It, it instilled fear in the, in the people that they came in contact with, and people, the army ran away because people don't want to be beheaded. And yet now you see beheadings in Syria mm-hmm. have become routine, and, and this is an assessment of the United Nations, right. that government forces carry out massacres and widespread attacks, including murder and torture and rape and all those things. And non-governmental armed forces are doing carrying out massacres. You don't see the condemnations. I mean, they kill a lot more people than Israel did in the war, in a defensive war. These guys are doing against their own populations. And we've seen this uh, beheadings, not only now in Iraq, you see it in Syria, we're seeing it in other places, that it becomes the method du jour for carrying out these attacks. And then they instilled this in younger and younger groups. One of the the most disturbing developments that I saw was the report on the large camps that ISIS has uh, 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 established for boys between 10 and 14. And these kids are now going to be another generation. It's not that you're going to root it out uh, so quickly. It doesn't matter then what the people themselves think if they're not willing to take up some sort of, uh, of an action. And the, the idea that beheadings, I mean, this horrific action, uh, it's one thing if people die in a conflict and wars and bombings and stuff, but they got to I mean, go up and cut somebody's throat. And, I mean, I mean what, what century is this replicating? Where is it? Where is it? The 21st century. I would think not, but could you imagine that hundreds of years from now they'll look back at this century and talk about the progress that the world made up until 2014 and the democracy and the freedom and understanding how humans are supposed to treat humans. And this was the the, the method of choice in the Middle East. And add to that, which I think is a very good point, and people should think about, I mean, this brutality that they say, oh, this is horrific, and they turn away. No, this is the nature of the enemy. And now think about the fact that you have 12,000 foreigners, you have uh, admittedly people, hundreds in America. Now there's a report of a second American who died fighting in Syria. These are guys who are engaging in these activities and being trained with this. You know, the, the, um, I told you that Britain's MI5 devotes half of its time to fighting and dealing with the threat posed by British uh, citizens coming back from, uh, right. from Syria. But they said on Tuesday that they had arrest links to the fighting in Syria and had dramatically risen. It's the highest priority operation uh, against those involved in attack planning or other activities. But they're not activities there anymore. Now they're going to focus on their own territories. And there was a report on all of the 
Islamist-related activities in the United States this past year, and we don't put it together. You know, I say there's almost a case all the time going on. Uh, you know, you have an Arab bank uh, trial. There's hardly any coverage where they're exposing how this uh, bank, which is based on Amman, but has uh, implications worldwide, and funding terrorism. And nobody pays attention to it. Yeah, and you'd think it would become more obvious as we read more and more about what's happening in the streets of the United States. Exactly. You know, how people are either being attacked or their families being condemned or, you know, they're being, uh, you know, the subject of, uh, of, um, you know, either, e- either uh, physical violence or verbal, uh, attacks, you know, as they walk home from shul and all that. You'd think we'd start to get this message, but I don't know. By the way, not not that I'm one to argue with the Red Alert app, which has gotten a lot of notoriety, by the way, recently from the New York Times and others. Over, apparently over a million people have installed the Red Alert app, which is unbelievable. It says there that the last rocket was Tuesday at 7 p.m. Has the ceasefire, in fact, worked at that point? Because remember, we've seen ceasefires in many, many different eras of the last decade, where still you've reported to us that rockets, you know, maybe not at the same pace, the same rate, but they were still flying over Israel. Right. There have been no rockets now, but the uh, you know they fired until the last minute, and even as the ceasefire was supposed to go into effect, and they killed two Israelis uh, during those hours and wounded others, uh, and they and they retain a capacity. Even Israel acknowledges that they still have a couple thousand missiles. They can produce more in the underground uh, facilities, um, so the danger isn't going away. And the, the resilient nature of these activities, and because they can operate on relatively small amounts, and as long as countries like Qatar continue to fund or assist, and others who, who may find some interest, which is why the um, Arab Bank case that I just mentioned is so important, and you see how this is spreading and, and how the roots of these groups now become much deeper. And you had the missiles across the Golan, and the reports now that. Uh, rebel groups now control the border near Israel. There is a presence of ISIS or IS. They're not the ones controlling the border. This is more al-Nusra, which is an al-Qaeda affiliate. But they're now there on the Golan. They drove out the, Israel, the Syrian army. There's no presence uh, virtually, which means that they're retracting all their soldiers back to, to protect Damascus, I think, uh, as they lost uh, Raqqa and you may remember we discussed it when it first uh, came under fire, and I said that this could be a turning point because Raqqa is where a lot of the oil resources of Syria, and they're now exporting oil through Turkey to Lebanon to other places. But they took the airfield, the last airfield in the whole province, and this is a, a major shift now in that they control this entire region. Now we'll turn their attention towards Damascus, towards uh, other uh, areas of um, of Syria, and every time they, they still make uh, uh, make money, and they control more importantly the, the border crossing areas between Israel and uh, and Syria. So you're talking about Islamist forces within 200 yards of territory controlled by Israel, including supposedly Kenetra. And and if Turkey, for instance, on the economic point, as long as they continue to want to do business with them, they're they're fine. Well, yes, if- and they and and you have this porous border, Turkey. As you know, has the new president, Erdogan, he's appointed the prime minister, Davutoglu, who's even more extreme as an Islamist than Erdogan or was, which shows the direction that he's going to go. His border, he's allowed terrorists to cross. We know that uh, countless numbers, and especially foreign terrorists, come into, uh, into Turkey and 
cross freely into into Syria when they could do a lot to control it. But I think Turkey's role here is very critical, and they, uh, you know, they flirted and helped Iran avoid the sanctions. They do other things, even when in the end they seem to pay somewhat of a of a price for it. Now they're talking about another flotilla. They're talking about other right. uh, extreme activities. Uh, they, working with Qatar, have formed a counterbalance to the Saudi Arabia, um, UAE, PA, Jordan, Egypt front, uh, and are, are more and more extreme, which is why people are upset by the fact the United States still has this relationship. I'm talking about an $11 billion sale to Qatar, uh, let alone uh, uh, big arms sales to, to, um, to Turkey that's in the, in the offing. But the, the, what happens in Syria today and the border especially, is really important. We have to get people to focus on how the, the, the regionalization of all of these conflicts and the, the, how it's spreading into, into Lebanon. And that's why Israel strikes at every uh, firing, because they have to demonstrate sovereignty and they have to demonstrate that it will not be accepted, mm. even if it's errant firing. We have to, Israel has to send that message, and the United States and the West has to send a message, too. If we ever want to turn this around or contain this, and so far we've done a lousy job at it, and the, the that's why the Egyptians and UAE went into Libya. They didn't even tell the United States. Right. They bombed Libya not once, twice. Give me one second. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web. JM and the AM dot ORG. But by the way, on that point, in terms of U.S. reaction, um, it, it, and if you look at today's headlines, and if you heard uh, yesterday's uh, presentation by the president, it, it seems like there's only uncertainty coming out of Washington. When the headlines read, we don't know what to do in Syria, that, that that's not a good sign from Washington. I don't think there could be a worse sign is when you say we have no strategy. And, right. And I understand that it's not easy to deal with these issues uh, fully. Um, you know, they, they haven't hardly reacted to 43 U.N. peacekeeping forces being abducted by al-Nusra, probably. And uh, there's been violence all along against the U.N. Uh, disengagement forces, the UNDOP, which is U.N., uh, the uh, disengagement observer forces. Um, and hardly any condemnation, criticism. You know, uh, right away running to negotiations, and the question is, what price do you pay for it? They're trying to drive these guys out. That was a goal all along of, of Hezbollah, too, because they want to operate more freely, and they know that the first time there's a bullet, the U.N. forces run or countries withdraw their uh, th- their forces. And the the um, the, the nature of, of their activities and the failure to, for the West, of the West to come with clearly defined objectives and, and readiness to implement them. We keep sending the wrong message to them. And the fall of Raqqa, the other steps, means that you could be seeing uh, a takeover by these radical rebel groups, so-called, of, of Assad. And we'll make Assad look good. We will, we will, we will yearn for Assad uh, to come back. Unbelievable. Um, we should mention, by the way, that... Uh 21-year-old IDF soldier Natan al-Maman became the 71st Israeli fatality. He died from wounds from a rocket attack that happened today, and uh, not the attack, meaning his his passing happened today in 
the funeral takes place today. Also, I must mention that the Jerusalem Post has published an article with the 64 IDF soldiers' photos and the paragraphs about their lives who uh, who died to protect Israel. Uh, Malcolm, this is a good opportunity for people to print it out, hang it up in their synagogues, and to spread it around, especially between now and Rosh Hashanah, and there'll be a lot of nostalgia about this 2014 war, and people will be looking back with their kids, hopefully, about what happened this past summer in Israel. It's really a golden opportunity to remember each and every individual who gave of their lives to protect Israel during this summer. It's an amazingly important point. And especially for the schools that are now opening, right. that schools should post it. They should remind the kids that these young people, not much older than them, and in some cases the same age as those who go to schools and uh, universities, right. died also for us. That this enemy wants to kill us. It, it says in the Charter to kill Jews, not just to kill Israelis. And what they did is put their lives on the line, some of them in the most heroic ways that haven't been told yet, and and you see Hamas now says we want to extend their, our, quote, victory to the West Bank and Yerushalayim, because the goal isn't to free Gaza, the goal is to destroy Israel more than anything, they don't care about their own people, certainly don't care about Jews that want Jews eliminated, and that, that is, the, they state the goal, we just don't believe them when they say it, when other terrorist groups say it, do you think IS, which can engage in this kind of brutal activity against people Muslims of their own uh, affiliation, other Muslims, let alone what they've done to Christians in Mosul, where, where is that outcry? So when Jews look at this and see that the only one standing up, defending the people, defending the country, standing for our future, is the IDF. You can be critical, you can have differences with the government of Israel. But anybody who doesn't understand, look at the rest of the world, look how Christians are being massacred, and there's no army that stands up for them, there's no force except the Jews who protest and some Christian uh, and who they write off as, uh, you know, extremists. Think about it, and people should take this opportunity in every shul to post it, as you said, talk about it, not under, not think that this battle's over and therefore we're free now, we can go on to right. you know, worry about the U.S. Open or something. No, now is the time, because this is not over. This, their goal remains the same. And the only reason they don't achieve it is because they have young men putting and women putting their lives on the line stop it oh what an excellent point uh also we uh of course take this opportunity to extend our condolences to the sofer family right here in new jersey this terrible tragedy in israel and i know it's no comfort to them but malcolm again you have to see how people have come together and the concern that world jury had for one boy who had experienced this uh this tragic uh episode and uh just again a, a from that angle you know a, a a very heartwarming angle you know that thousands of people were involved in this. Uh, I had a little bit of involvement in this and uh, spoke to the family uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. We had a conference call in America of people in Lakewood and elsewhere at 1.30 in the morning, and nobody would even have questioned whether you have to do it. And that night afterwards, I stayed up all night talking to the Prime Minister's office and others, and you see the response there. Uh, as someone, t uh, the police commander told me, he said in all of his years, decades in the police force, he's never seen so many resources yeah. put for a missing person, and that that, and they did not believe and didn't see any evidence that it was political, but they kept that option open. But thousands of people and all the volunteers who came from Salah, from Zaka, from all these other groups, and people who flew from the states, it's it's truly an amazing demonstration, and I think it's a, a great source of Hamad to the family that people cared and that you show them. I mean, there's no way we can bring it back, but we can certainly 
try to to ease the pain that they know that they did everything possible and everything possible was done. No, no question about it. Um, in Israel, you know, ten days ago, I would have predicted that the prime minister could easily win another term. Today, I don't know if the Likud will let him run. <laughs> I mean, this is cr- it's crazy. Well, I think Israeli politics are <laughs> and not and not just my my prognostication abilities, but this is really, as you just uh, alluded to, uh, it seems to be the root of all Israeli politics: the uncertainty. Um, so, what's the story? Why are the prime minister's uh, favorable numbers uh, so low? His unfavorable numbers so high? As opposed to many of the other conflicts in the past where people were upset but, uh, you know, and called for the government to, to end the conflicts, this time their people want to continue because they want a final outcome. They don't want more uncertainty. People are frustrated. People are angry about the cost of this war. And remember, it's, it's the, the loss of life of 71 lives, right. a four-year-old, uh, Daniel, uh, something I think all of us who saw that picture and read about him and, I mean, it's so it's so heavy in my heart and my head, and I can't. I see his picture all the time in yeah. my mind. I know that is some photo, boy. And 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 that uh, you know, it was a matter of seconds that it wasn't. He, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't run away. He wasn't running the street. He just was trying to get into the house in time. So people are are frustrated. The people in the south, many of whom have left and are still not coming back, because they're saying we want assurances. We want to know that there aren't tunnels. We don't. They don't feel there's a finality to this right now. Well, didn't the prime minister know this? And I'm not saying he does everything for political reasons back home, but I, I guess he considered it greatly before he agreed to the ceasefire. Look, I'm one who's, who believes strongly that we don't second-guess sitting here in right. New York or New Jersey or Maryland. It's right. easy to be armchair generals when you're not on the front line. And I think for Israel, and especially given you know the cost internationally, People, again, don't think about it, but the loss of tourism, loss of investment, the right. boycott actions, all these things have a tremendous economic impact. It's cost Israel billions of dollars, and uh, let alone the, the psychological impact. And how many, for, for, for 50 days, people heard the sirens, and as you point out, you know, people looked at their, if you looked at the iPad uh, right. app, right. and it, some days it would go off 15 times in a 20-minute in a period. And you, I don't know if you saw, but uh, I know many saw online the picture of Iron Dome taking out 15 simultaneous right. missiles, which is really an amazing feat. But people's nerves are on edge, and they feel that there hasn't been the kind of outcome yet that gives them an assurance of the future. So I think that, that it's the follow-up will be as much a part of the war as the actual conflict this time. And... And people don't want to see prisoner transfers. They want to know why weren't the two bodies of the soldiers who were captured part of the initial deal. It is part of Israel's demands. But those are the kind of issues that are being raised. And it's understandable that people are frustrated. They don't want to have to go through this again. Then they see the developments in the north uh, of Israel. It's different in the sense that you have the different alliances in the Middle East. You see uh, the threats to Jordan of IS, which might mobilize concern. Israel will defend itself. Israel has the capacity. We saw it now. We see now. I'm sure they'll develop technology to deal with the tunnels. But I think the psychological scars are going to be there for a long time. And Netanyahu uh, was expected to really, ex- you know, execute this. What they did in the last week, people say, they had done that for three, the first three weeks. Take out those high, those high rise. Do the other thing. Go after the leadership. 
But it's very easy for us to sit here and say those things. It's very hard when you're on the front line having to make those decisions. Do you agree that he'd have a tough time winning another election right now? No, I don't think he would have a hard time winning another election. I think the numbers will bounce back. It's happened after the last Lebanon war. He, he a, a precipitous drop of 50 points is unusual. Right. Even be President Obama in that regard, you know, and being able to drop points. But in democracies, that happens. And then people come back. And the other thing is that you need someone who can challenge him. Right. And right now nobody has emerged. He indicated during the last campaign that this would be it. Do you think that uh, his hat is still in the ring, so to speak? <clears throat> well, it depends on his level of sanity, whether he wants this uh, more. But, look, I think he's very committed to, to defending Israel, that he has a vision. He knows what, he, what people sense as well. But am I remembering that right, that he basically indicated this would be it? He, uh, I recall that as well. But, yeah. you know, in politics... Right. You know, everything that comes with him, maybe, or mm. Billy Nader. Uh, so, <laughs> or Ralph Nader. <laughs> but look, I think he, look, I think his motivation now, he, he could go out and make a lot of money. He could have do many other things. He cares uh, very deeply, obviously, about Israel. Nobody goes through all of this and comes back for more, unless you're a glutton for torture, or you really care. And and he's worked well with the Alom and with uh, Benny Gantz, the chief of the IDF. And the IDF did perform well. People, you know, oh, yeah. again, it will all come out afterwards as we do the assessment about how effective uh, they were and the uh, long-term implications of this. It will be tested again in the North. We're going to be tested in other, and I mean we, the West, not just Israel. How long does it take to replenish rocket supply? I'm being serious. Like, I mean, in a week, are they going to have another thousand rockets, you know, in storage? Well, first of all, that's the reason why... Israel is so insistent on monitoring what goes in. Uh, you know that that uh, in the north you still in the Egyptian border you still have uh, maybe 500 tunnels because out of 1,500 they eliminated more than a thousand. But these uh, largely are based out of Bedouin communities near the border or even somewhat inside. You saw how long the tunnels could be into Israel, a mile into Israel. So you know it can go a mile or a mile and a half in any direction. Uh, from Gaza towards Egypt yeah. uh, to continue to smuggle. Second, they have the underground facilities to do the continuing manufacture, and they're very crude and rude. They don't have guidance systems. It's just a pipe, explosives, put in shrapnel, do other things to try and raise the, the um, kill rate. So that's why Israel wants to know that everything will be monitored, uh, in, especially uh, cement and, and steel that goes in as part of any agreement. And the language that's being used, and this is a very strange time, but Israel now wants a Security Council resolution, and the Palestinians don't, because it does include some of these ideas of disarmament, uh, first uh, demilitarization, meaning no new uh, weapons uh, going in. Um, and the, the peacekeepers, the U.N. peacekeepers, and the challenges that they're now confronting, is that going to change the U.N.'s attitude to what's happening in Syria at all? I don't think anything changes uh, the UN's attitude. You know, the automatic majority remains and the biases remain. And, uh, you know, the UN issues a lot of statements, but they have no way to, to back it up. It's got to be done by, by others. So they can make demands and, and, you know, you can pass, try to pass Security Council sanctions, but Hamas and like Hezbollah, like these others, don't, don't really pay much in, in, attention to it. Uh, but yes, it, it, all these things should show the world who the real enemy is. They call boycotts of Israel, but they don't boycott, as was a sign 
you know, that he uh, that was seen in London that said, I would boycott Palestinian products, but they don't make any. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys, most of these guys have nothing to lose. They don't have exports. They don't, you know, ship out high-tech equipment. They don't develop their own people. They don't have resources inside. And the Palestinian people are very capable, and they could be, and they could be very prosperous. And for a short while, you remember the joint, uh, what they would call the quiz zones and the um, uh, the qualified industrial zones and the tax-free areas, they could have been really a boon to any economy, and they could have changed the whole face of the of the activity. And during all of this, everybody forgets about Iran. Khomeini talks about more enrichment. We see that them talking about no revisiting Parchin, which is where the weaponization took place. You know, harder and harder lines. Uh, backing the new uh, Iraqi prime minister and, and, and engaging still in the production of and in the, and the distribution of more and more weapons to terrorist uh, entities, their involvement in Syria, their involvement in Gaza, everywhere else. And nobody even pays attention today to Iran. We're deflected onto other things. In the meantime, they're moving ahead, and we're coming closer and closer to the November ultimate deadline. And the question is, are we going to end up then, what kind of a deal, if any, will we... we uh, uh, end up with, and they shot down an Israeli drone and are threatening now to sue over it for a violation of their airspace. But they talk about crushing response. They talked about providing weapons to forces in the West Bank. you got to take it seriously. They I mean it. I appreciate you bringing up the drone. It's been sitting in my notes for five days. When they, when they claim that they are, uh, you know, uh, investigating the drone, examining it for, you know, Israeli intelligence data, can I assume... That that Israeli intelligence data is either destroyed or undecipherable once it gets into the hands of the Iranians, or that's not the case. Well, after the downing of the American, uh, which uh, drone, which it caught almost intact, I think, and uh, you know, you you do reverse engineering, which means you take it apart, try to study it and replicate it, and they are producing their own. They in fact gave Hamas the technology for drones, and they used it in the beginning of the of the, uh, this war. Then. I think Israel eliminated that capacity. Um, so, and drones are are a critical uh, force. So, the fact that Israel could get a drone from Israel to there, assuming that they did, um, <laughs> means it had to be refueled in, in air, etc., which is a pretty remarkable achievement in and of itself. Or they're claiming now that it was fired from Azerbaijan, or you know, from a, and, and have always been talking about the Azerbaijan-Israel collaboration against Iran. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, the hope is that it was destroyed, and I'm sure that they build in fail-safe measures that if, in fact, something like this happens, but they showed pictures of large parts of it intact, but it doesn't mean that the intelligence data right. is not destroyed. Who's the guy that has to wake up the prime minister to tell him in the middle of the night <laughs> the drone went down in Iran? That must be the worst. Oh, gosh. All right. There's still hope for the Jewish people and the future of the Jewish people. More than ever. And more than ever in the future of the Jewish people is, of course, in the state of Israel. And Malcolm Honline has confirmed for me again that he completely 100% endorses anybody who has a trip planned to Israel for September or October, for the Chagim, for Sukkot, for Thanksgiving, for Chaye Sarah, for Hanukkah, for end-of-year vacation, for whenever it is in the next few months, he 100% is behind maintaining those trips and keeping them on our calendars. And if you don't have one planned, plan one now. And if your shul is asked to distribute the cards, the pledge, not money, but to visit Israel with your family alone, to show the people of Israel who care, to bring back the economy, to visit the South and help and buy stuff and help all these people 
who suffered for us. I mean, they didn't suffer because they did something wrong. They suffered because they're Jews. They're living in a Jewish state. And all of us would be on that front line were not for them. Oh, yeah. So people have an obligation, have an achrayas, really to go and help them and to, to continue dominating for, the, for them and for the soldiers who are still wounded, and there are many um, who need a, a refuah. So people, this is our front, our obligation, and, and we're going to find more assaults not only the physical assaults you mentioned and anti-Semitic things can happen on 63rd Street in Manhattan or in uh, L.A. or anywhere in the United States, but also what we're going to see on the campuses is they now come back to full force. So we need everybody. We need support. We need help. We need to be able to do more outreach and, and build coalitions and get people together to, to do, and that depends on our internal unity. And not all this question, you can raise all the questions you want, but you've got to remember, ultimately, we've got to stand behind Israel. Oh, yeah. And we've got to keep the U.S.-Israel relationship on the, on the strongest possible ground. I thank you again. Mazal Tov, and have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday morning, JM in the AM, there is a podcast of the weekly update. Check out the uh, homepage of org In the news section, you'll see information Hey, you could sign up for the podcast and get it every single week uh, from us here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good day of Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Shoftim. Pasha Shoftim, according to the Chinuch, contains 41 mitzvos, 14 positive mitzvos, and 27 restrictions. I'd like to focus this morning on two out of those 41 mitzvos, one positive and one restriction, namely, according to the Chinuch's count, mitzvah 495, to listen to the rabbis, specifically to the Bezdin, meaning those that formulate Jewish law, and 496, not to deviate from their teachings. So to begin with, I think that we should all be aware that the Gemara at the end of Makos teaches us that the number 6 13 is universally accepted. What does that mean? What are exactly included within the 613 biblical commandments is subject to debate between the great codifiers and those that literally enumerated, such as the Rambam, Maimonides, and the Ramban challenges the Rambam on many instances saying wait a minute, this he forgot and this should not be included the Sefer HaChinuch follows most often the teachings of the Rambam in his count of the 613 and he tells us that in addition there are seven mitzvos de Rabbanon which means that in this week's parsha, where the Torah tells us that we are to listen to the to, to the teachings of the rabbis, Al Torah, Asher Yerucha, 
in accordance with the Torah which they teach you the Allah Mishpat that which they tell you the law you shall follow so there are seven mitzvos from the Rabbanon 6.13 plus 7 comes to Keser which is the crown and the crown of Torah is both the biblical and rabbinic mitzvos what are the seven mitzvos the Rabbanon the Chinuch lists them as one to recite Hallel on the holidays, two, to recite, to read Megillas Esther on Purim, three, to light Ner Hanukkah, the eight nights of Hanukkah, four, to light Shabbos candles, five, to wash our hands before the eating of bread, six, to recite a bracha before benefiting from food and fragrance in this world, and seven, the mitzvah of Erev, Erev Tchumin, Erev Tavshilin, these are the seven mitzvahs Rabbanon. And indeed, when we recite a bracha, for example, Asher Kitshonu B'mitzvah Sav V'tzivanu L'hadlik Ner Shel Chanukah which follows the same formula as Asher Kitshonu B'mitzvah Sav He commanded us with His commandments and V'tzivanu He sanctified us with His commandments and He commanded us to L'kboa Mezuzah to place a mezuzah on our doors, that is clearly biblical. When we recite Bitsivanu, Lahadlik Ne'er, Shel Shabbos, what it means in that case is he commanded us to listen to the rabbis who in turn commanded us to light Ne'er Shabbos, Ne'er Hanukkah, etc. Now, the question is, I'd like to discuss for a moment that we get a better appreciation as to why. Why does the Torah give us this law? So the Chinuch explains how significant this law is, namely that each individual is different. Each individual is different in terms of their intellectual understanding, analysis, and therefore, if God were to give the Torah to each individual without this law that we are to follow the teachings of the rabbis, you would turn out that it would be each one's individual Torah. I understand the Torah this way, and I understand the Torah that way. And therefore, we are commanded as in Parshas Mishpatim, Acharei Rabim Lahatos, to follow the majority, the majority of those that are capable of rendering a halachic decision. And very interestingly, even if there's going to be a mistake on occasion, it is still better to have this system in place whereby we have a method of determining and following Jewish law rather than 
even the ultimate truth. What do I mean by that? Take out the Gemara in Bav Metziah 59b for a very famous story entitled Tanur Shel Achnoi. There was a debate among two very great rabbis, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. The specifics of the debate are secondary. Whether or not a particular oven could be, quote, kashered, made usable. Now, whatever Rabbi Eliezer said, the rabbis did not accept his opinion. And so Rabbi Eliezer, in frustration, said, if I'm right, let the carob tree in front of the base medrash prove me right. And sure enough, the carob tree uprooted from its place and took a walk down the block, Meya Amma, approximately 150 feet away. To which the rabbis said to him, forgive me, but we don't bring proof in accordance with Jewish law from a carob tree. He then went and said, let's take a little walk. And they went until the string, the stream of water which was near the yeshiva and Rabbi Eliezer said let the water prove me right and the water started to flow uphill and they said sorry, you can't bring proof from the flowing water and then he said okay, let the walls of the base medrash prove me right and the walls of the base medrash started to lean as if to fall at which point Rabbi Yoshua said excuse me, if the rabbis are having a debate what business of it is, is it of yours? And therefore, they did not fall down in honor of Rabbi Yoshua. They did not go back in honor of Rabbi Eliezer. And now, what happened next? Says the Talmud, if I'm right, said Rabbi Eliezer, Let heaven prove me right. And sure enough, a voice came out of the heaven and said, What do you want with Rabbi Eliezer? The halacha is like him. Now I ask you, when God himself says, The halacha is like Rabbi Eliezer, what's there to say? So I'll tell you what's there to say. Rabbi Yoshua jumped up and he says, he says three words Lo he at the end of Parshas Nitzavim the Torah says, the Torah is quote, not in heaven or now we understand it to mean it's no longer in heaven, it means that God gave us rules, says Rebbe Yoshua, and the rules of follow the majority prevail, and even if God is saying that the halacha is like Rebbe Eliezer, we're still going to follow the majority the Gemara tells us that one of the rabbis, Rabbi Nosan, met Elio Anavi. I don't know what you would ask Elio Anavi, but Rabbi Nosan asked Elio, tell me, what was God's reaction to this? And God smiled, he was laughing, and he said, Nitzchuni bonai Nitzchuni. Literally, my children have prevailed over me, meaning they've used the laws of my Torah, quote, against even me, and... This is the idea that Torah prevails, and maybe as well you can understand the word Nitzchuni coming from Netzach, that as a result of this there is Nitzchios, there is eternity to our people, because we have a way of determining and resolving Jewish law. Now the question is, what are these rabbinic laws based on? And 
I'd like to suggest, as is suggested by Rabbi Hanan Wasserman, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, in his Kuntras, whereby he says that in conjunction with the understanding of how to appreciate Losasur, in his Kuntras Divrei Sofrin, Reb Elchanan teaches the following that after all, where are these rabbinic mitzvos coming from? And he suggests something which is fantastic, namely that in keeping with what we find in chapter 18 of Mesilas Yesharim, if somebody loves somebody else, they do not do for them only the bare minimum, but rather they want to go beyond that which they ask for. His mushal is that if the father only hints at that which he wants, without even spelling it out, then the child who loves their father is only too happy to comply with the wishes and the desire of the father. And so, the mitzvos, the rabbanon, where do they come from? They come from avas Hashem. They come from our great love for God. And our love for God cannot be contained just by our performing the 613, but we want to please Him in every which way, and therefore we have the additional mitzvos of the rabbis. Now, how do we know whether these additional mitzvos are correct or not? Therefore, the Gemara in Shabbos, page 23a, when it discusses the bracha for Ner Hanukkah, and we say, Asher Kitshanu Bimitzvosavitzivanu, he commanded us. Where did he command us? So the first opinion is this week's parsha Lo Sasur, meaning not to deviate from what the rabbis tell us. And the second opinion comes from. Ha'azinu in chapter 32, verse 7, Sha'ala Literally, you shall literally ask your father, and he will relate it to you, your elders, the rabbis, and they will tell you. The rabbis are the barometer as to telling us this is pleasing to Hashem and this is not pleasing to Hashem. And this is so significant. Namely, we are now in the month of Elul. Elul is Aniladodi Vadodi Li. Namely, I am for my beloved and he is for me. And this is in keeping with the second verse of Shira Shirim. Namely, what does one lover say to the next one? Kitovim Dodecha Miyoyin. Literally, more is your love to me and your embrace to me than wine. The rabbis understand this to mean chavivim, 
Divrei Sofrim Midivrei Torah. Literally, that the words of our rabbis are even dearer than. Of course, there is biblical laws and there is rabbinic law. But number one, the rabbis help us understand the biblical law. But B, the rabbinic laws demonstrate our greater love for God. And that's why in Elul we are to focus on this reciprocity. What we do for Him and therefore in return how He showers and shows His love for us. And so, this week's parsha of Parshas Shoftim enables us to appreciate as we are now at the beginning of the month of Elul, of that very special rapport, the privilege of being a part of Hashem's Torah, with its very careful laws in terms of governing the judicial process as to how it is eternal, and the privilege that each of us have to be part of this eternity. Shabbat Shalom to all. Elul Shofar blowing here at JM in the AM. Good morning, all. 20 minutes before 9 o'clock on this Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Parsha Shoftim coming up tomorrow. My thanks to Rabbi Yudin. Candle lighting at 7.13 later today. 7.13. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 7.13 on this uh, Erev Shabbos. Uh, Monday is Labor Day. Matis will be here, and I thank him in advance. Matis is here on Monday between 6 and 9 a.m. Treat him well. He will treat you well both on Sunday, on JM Sunday between 7 and 9, and on Monday here at JM and the AM between 6 and 9. I'm back here Tuesday at JM and the AM, and we'll start talking about some of our amazing online programming that you could expect over the next few months. So make sure to be tuned in. Mazel tov to the Naaman and Landsman families. Leora and Alex married last night in an absolutely beautiful celebration out on Long Island. Mazel tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Uh, coming up, you know what? Let's do this song first. Then we'll tell you what's coming up in Teaneck, New Jersey this coming Sunday. Here's Benny at JM in the AM.
Benny Friedman, and he'll be in Teaneck this Sunday. Apparently, it's his first concert ever in Teaneck, New Jersey. Cedar Market has their big birthday celebration this coming Labor Day, Monday, starting at 1.30, with everything you can imagine. Rides, clowns, face painting, balloon sculptures, great snacks, giveaways, prizes, raffles, and more. And the concert will be Benny Friedman starting at 1.30, which is pretty cool. So uh, check it out, Cedar Market. They've been amazing friends, and uh, we wish them a happy birthday. Celebration is Sunday. It's uh, is Monday. Celebration is Monday, Labor Day, at 646 Cedar Lane in Teaneck, New Jersey. 14 minutes before the hour, 61 degrees, sunshine, a high of 79. Amazing and incredible Erev Shabbos music all day long on our stream at jmnam.org with a big salute to our friends at Kedem. That happens uh, all day long, all the way until candle lighting time. I cannot think of a better way to prepare for a Shabbos than having our stream on in the background until you leave for shul. I'm telling you. Or until you light candles. I'm telling you. Try it out once. You'll be addicted. It'll change your Fridays. That's how incredible it is. It will have an amazing effect on your Fridays. Try it. You'll see what I mean. JM in the AM with Diaspora. Vavienu metzion ircha berima Belirushalayim Beit mekdashicha besimchat olam Vavienu metzion ircha berima Belirushalayim Beit mekdashicha besimchat olam
selection for an Arab Shabbos from Ari Goldwag. Friday morning, J.M. in the A.M. Getting set for Labor Day weekend. Time to say good Shabbos. Here's Journeys at J.M. in the A.M.
brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. Perhaps have another great week here at JM and the AM. Matis is here Monday. He also has JM Sunday between 7 and 9 Eastern Time on our stream at jmandtheam.org. Make sure to be tuned in. Keep it at jmandtheam.org all through the day and all through the weekend. You will be uh, thrilled with our Erev Shabbos selections and, of course, all the great music and programming. Uh, so make sure to stay tuned in. Have a fabulous Shabbos.